I think the the unrelenting. Oh, uh, there oh, we go. Hello. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Yeti, bye, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess I should admit to my secret that my uh, my feet were being warmed by uh, by Aww. Yeti the Wonder Dog. Um, sorry about that, Haley. No, no worries. <laughs> hey, this is life now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. And I am so excited to have two returnees. First up, Dan Caladine, our very own global head of media futures, and Haley Poss, EVP, head of U.S. strategy and insights. Thank you both for coming back. It's been it's been a little while since we've had you. Yeah. Yes, I th- it feels like a long time. Lots has changed. <laughs> Dan, you and I you know, sort of kicked off the COVID crisis in March. March. That was the first pod we did when we went into this. And then we got back together for our sort of round the world tour, which is sort of fun. And then Haley, when was the last time you were on? It may have been for the media landscape kind of 2020 (laughs) predictions overview in January. You've been on a lot. That's a long time for you. I know, I know. Well, you were busy talking about important topics, talking to important (laughs) people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, we've had a we've had a few things happen. A few in the things world. have happened. So, so here's what we're going to do today. I am going to resist with all my heart my immediate urge, which is to go full into last night's DNC and the uh, the you know all the action and updates of the past four days. We're not going to do that, but we're going to jump in because you both obviously do trend reporting. And you are both incredibly sort of insightful strategists who look all the time at what's happening in the world and try to sort of make sense of that for our folks in, internally and our client leaders and our clients. You both do that sort of to start the year. And now here we are just past the middle of the year. And I wanted to bring you back to talk about some of your new observations and maybe how some of your 2020 observations have changed. So, Dan, let's start with you. You do our big Kara Global Trend Study. We had a pod on that in January. Well, it's not January anymore, Dan. Just a, just a little different in the world. What do you think has changed from those initial observations? Well, obviously, I feel personally embarrassed because I didn't see the biggest story of the year coming. So when we try to make these predictions, we try to think about these are the things that will be dominating our lives for the next 12 months or so. So we totally missed this one, obviously. But beyond that, I think they actually hold up really well because what COVID has done, that there's a phrase I heard somebody use the other day, which is COVID is a tailwind in that it's just speeded everything up. So the things we were talking about, for example, you know, the dominance of the big four tech ecosystems, that's increased because they've all done really well out of the last six months or so in terms of market capitalization changes. We talked about gaming, which you know has had a very, very good couple of quarters. We talked about addressable TV. Far more people now have connected TVs and they're watching more streamed services. So a lot of the things we were talking about, the trends not only are, are still there, but they're actually even more pronounced than we thought they would be at the start of the year. We'll get into that in a little more depth in a second. Haley, from your perspective, what are the kind of biggest things you've seen change other than, oh, I don't know, everything? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest change that we've seen is just how media has really been playing a huge role in politics, health, and social movements. What we anticipated at the beginning of 2020 was the focus on the political movements that are happening right now. 
because we didn't know who the main Democratic candidate would be at that time, it really was up in the air of what their media strategy would be, depending on who netted out. But with Joe Biden, what we've seen back then and what we see now is leaning into more traditional channels, especially TV. And he did a big upfront buy most recently, as did Trump, which is putting a lot more investment within network. So lots has changed, especially around health, social movements, Black Lives Matter, and the role that media plays within that. So just because I can't resist, <clears throat> I had G on the pod last week. And at the very end, we got into this sort of question. And I want to just out of the box ask you this. What advice and counsel are you giving clients around how to handle the next 75 days or 73 or whatever it is? Like, are you are you saying get out of it because it's just pure madness and there's going to be so much money dumped in the market, you, you know, you really, nobody's going to hear you anyway? Are you saying, you know, try to bounce off of it if you have a, you know, particular issue of resonance that may be able to play either, you know, off of it or play into it? What's sort of your advice to clients at the minute on that? So one of the great things that Dan did and started right after the, no, sorry, not you, Dan. Dan is in Dentsu. This is going to get confusing real fast for me. Well, let's call let's call Dan is in Dentsu. Dan number two. Dan number one Dan is Dan Caladon. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I can do that. So at the beginning of the year, Dentsu started doing a crisis navigator survey, which at the time was going every week. It's moved to just shift to every month, but we've gotten some incredible insights to keep a pulse of what consumers really need and want right now from brands. And one of the biggest things that they've seen that they just need overall is a sense of normalcy and also escapism. So if you think about all the noise created from the political system, that's not normalcy or escapism. So there's a huge opportunity for brands to play in those spaces, giving consumers a bit of reprieve from everything going on in the world. So that's what I've been talking to clients about is how can we really help people? How can we provide mm -hmm. utility? How can we provide normalcy escapism in this turbulent time? So Dan, what new things have you put into your sort of mid-year revision in terms of trends? Well, I've put a couple of new ones in. So one is that I think we're moving from FOMO. We've been talking about FOMO for quite a long time, the fear of missing out, the idea that everyone else is having a more exciting life than you, to the idea of FOGO, which is fear of going out. So the idea that <laughs> everybody else might be having a more exciting life than me, but you know what? I'm staying in because I'm quite happy to stay in, to self-isolate, to shield myself. So I think that's a really interesting one. I think we're going to see some really interesting differences by demographic in that the virus seems to not have that great an effect on an awful lot of people under the age of about 30. So I think we see an awful lot of younger people still being out trying to do all the things they did. But when you get to, say, the over 55s or the over 60s, I think they will be a lot more absent in a physical sense in that they'll be staying at home a lot more. They'll be trying to shield themselves. They'll be trying to do every sort of safety first thing. So I think that's a really interesting thing. And I think there's some really interesting things that brands can take from that. And in Within that, we have the whole thing about trying to create a contactless path to purchase where if people can't go to the shop, they need to be able to buy just as easily from you online. Or if they do want to go to a shop, they need to be able to find out before they go whether you have what they want in stock so that they can really just you know, live their life in a more distance way, but brands make that as easy for them as possible. So I think that's a really interesting one. And I think... I think there's going to be some really interesting campaigns around 
how you deal with those things, particularly people who target older members of the population. I'm willing to go out on a limb and declare myself full FOGO. There's no doubt about that. I'm willing to miss out on almost anything at this point. You, you can find me at home. <laughs> Haley, what's your perspective? Are you FOMO or FOGO at this point or somewhere in the middle? I mean, I've always been FOGO. I, well, <laughs> I don't really care what other people are doing. <laughs> Maybe that just says more about me, though. Um, Haley, what's your sort of perspective on this? commerce angle. Obviously, you know, you've been doing a lot of work with clients and, you know, prospective clients and pitches. Commerce has become, you know, look, commerce has been incredibly important for two decades. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that, but the degree to which e-commerce is a huge part of the strategy now has really accelerated. What are those conversations looking like from your perspective with clients? We're talking a lot more, especially about social commerce and also just the what your landing page looks like as well. How are, how are people shopping? Is that the ideal experience? As part of our new shift to designing for people, we really talk a lot more about what's the current experience and what's the ideal experience. So having a lot more of those conversations with our clients, finding areas of opportunity and, and closing those gaps. We see some great examples even within the clients that we have with Cadillac Live promoting a virtual showroom, being yep. able to really get that full experience that the audience is desiring, as well as Home Depot pivoting a lot of their communications or landing page, talk about curbside pickup, just even small things that you can do make a really big difference. Yeah. On GM for a second, because I, you know, one of the categories, you know, aside from travel and leisure, which is obviously, you know, that's been a, a massively impacted thing. And that's, it's just going to be what it is for a period of time. But, but automotive really interests me. So talk just a second as it relates to, you know, GM or, or more broadly, the automotive industry about how flexible and agile they've been about trying to create different experiences that don't emphasize the in the showroom experience quite as much or the at dealer experience quite as much. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, if you actually deconstruct the entire purchase journey, you have everything from understanding what type of car is best for you, your family, your lifestyle. You start to see a lot of actually advertising and creative now talking about the ability to like get out on the open road and experience a sense of freedom. So they're kind of leaning into what consumers are desiring from that angle, from a creative standpoint. But then you go all the way to the other end of the the consumer journey where it actually comes to getting your vehicle. So a lot of these automotive companies have actually pivoted to allow for, you know, vehicle drop off actually at your house and home and doing a full cleaning once you get there. So they've really thought about each stage of the journey, making consumers as comfortable and excited as possible about their vehicle purchase. Dan, one of the other new trends on your revision is big government. To paraphrase Ronald Reagan, the era of big government is going to continue forever. Or maybe that was Clinton. I don't know. Maybe he's the one who declared it gone. It is here to stay. And that has a lot of implications globally because it's really a global phenomenon. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think globally, I think it's one of the things that unites almost every market in that globally, governments have never been more active, both in the economy with things like furlough payments, but also just in in telling people how to live their lives. So you must wear a mask, you must do this, you must do that. These are places you're allowed to go. These are places you mustn't go. And I think it's a bit of a shift for quite a lot of organizations to get used to this because governments have very much, you know, over the last 20 years at least, been 
taking the back foot, you know, maybe setting up some conditions, then getting out of the way, letting private enterprise take over. But I think we're in a in a new era where we have things like, you know, governments will be putting restrictions on what we're allowed to advertise when we're allowed to advertise it. So in the UK, they're proposing more laws about what you're allowed to advertise before nine o'clock in the evening. Because I think there's really recognition that the more healthy we are as a society, the better we can withstand future waves of the virus. And a lot of countries have a lot of obesity, which has developed over the past few years. And Governments having been less very laissez-faire about this, and have been having used things like nudges to try to get people to lose weight and take better care of themselves, are now going to have to say, "Okay, we're not going to allow this, or we're going to do this." And and this is something which obviously moves into the territory of quite a lot of brands. But I think what brands really need to think about is how they can act responsibly, how they can have a sort of a sense of purpose and to say, you know, everybody being healthy is in everybody's benefit. So we need to not necessarily push back against these sorts of things, but try to help society develop and try to work with the government around these sorts of areas. Well, the U.S. is in a very different situation with the government right now. And you, you see that coming through with what that people are actually looking for brands to help lead in terms of health in terms of social movements. And also in terms of things like masks. So I've, I mean, I read quite a lot about the States and some big stores have said you can't come in without a mask where the government is just saying, do what you want. Oh yeah. They have mask bouncers at the door, actually. That's a job now at a lot of stores. And, you know, you don't have a mask, you don't come in for some of the the big box retailers, which is a fun job, I'm sure. I'm sure you've seen some of the internet viral videos about people who aren't so happy about that. But one of the interesting things of like, think about the MBA as a brand and what they're doing with their social experiment in the bubble right now, the MBA bubble at at Disney World. Mm -hmm. They're doing some of the most sophisticated kind of science experiments about tracking, using technology, using things like if you're getting too close to someone, there's a beeping that goes off if you've been around them for too much. So Brands are really leading in this space and people are interested in learning from them and, and getting that knowledge um, shared out more broadly. Is there risk in any of this for brands? So let's take this mask thing, right? That has become essentially a proxy fight in some parts of the country around conservative or even libertarian kind of it's my freedom to wear a mask or not wear a freedom uh, and on the other side, a more view of the collective common good, you know, shared enterprise view of the country. Is there risk for brands in getting in that? Or how should brands think of it? I mean, obviously you mentioned, you know, the Walmarts of the world are like, look, we, we have to do this. There's a there's a social good element, but there's also like a risk mitigation liability thing. Um, how should brands think about that? I think P&G is an interesting example of how they've been dabbling in both health and social justice. And they've gone big mm-hmm. into both and really leading as a giant company with a lot to lose, right? So if you think about they have their new Mass On initiative that is unbranded yeah. by PNG, but something that they help support in Ohio, which was very interesting and compelling and something I haven't seen a, a giant brand do anything like that before. Um, you also see everything that they've done within the Black Lives Matter movement, kind of the TV takeover they did on Juneteenth, for example, with their uh, um, incredible creative. So brave brands we know perform better and it is a risk, but we know that brands that succeed tend to have a point of view and they usually are rewarded for that in the long term. Yeah. So Dan, you know, one of the trends I believe that had been 
around for a while in the original report was this idea of, you know, dark social or, or darker social. You know, as we head into the next 74 days in the U.S. and the entire world participates in the U.S. election <laughs> in one way, shape, or form, what are the call-outs there for brands and, and how do they handle that environment in ways that both mitigates risk but also seizes on opportunities to be declarative about mission and purpose and values uh, in the context of those things? Well, I think brands need to be as open as possible. I think they need to be transparent. They don't necessarily need to take sides on things like an election, but they need to be transparent about, you know, this is what we're saying and this is what we're doing and these are our actions. With respect to dark social, I think certainly during the pandemic, it's been really interesting that things like WhatsApp have been really useful because it's allowed people to organize locally. With regard to the election, I fear it may be the election of dark social. Oh, Dan, let's be clear. It's going to be the election of dark social. Previous years, it's been like the YouTube election. It's been the search election or whatever. Last time, you know, you could argue it was the Facebook election with all the targeting and things like that. Yeah, I think this time it's going to be very much about what is being shared that people really, you know, people genuinely can't see. So last time it was all about the ads you see, I have no awareness of the ads you see because we're targeted in completely different ways. I think it's really dangerous. And I think it is for the social media companies to try to make things be unshareable, for example. And I think they've done that in countries like India, or they've Mm. made it so that you can only share things with two other people or something rather than share to a full group of 250 people. So I'm going to kind of evolve to the next segment. It's always good to get our smartest people on the record. And so we're going to try to do that with the two of you as you represent two of the smartest folks we have in the network. Scary. Let's write <laughs> Let's write the end of year headline for 2020. It was the year of X. It was the year of eternal change. It was the year that everything changed. <laughs> I mean, also, I think realistically, how this year is looked back upon depends on what happens next year. Because is it, you know, was this the start of COVID, which is still dominating our lives 10 years later? Or was this, you know, this crazy year where we were looking for a cure and then halfway through the next one, we found it and then it doesn't really worry us anymore. So I think I was in a call yesterday with some people who were organizing a conference and we were trying to work out what the banner headline for the conference would be. And I think it's it's going to be things like reset and it's going to be things like constant changing and, and things like that or constant realignment. Is there a positive in it? Is, is it Dickensian? Is it Tale of Two Cities? Is it the best of times, the worst of times? So I came up with something. All right, I love it. That Here we go for it. is a little bit different. So I think the end of 2020, because I'm a glass half full kind of lady, <laughs> I think it'll be the year of empathy. We, where we have a true empathetic reset about people, each other, our communities, our schools, essential workers, politicians. I think people have really had to take a step back and, and reevaluate just everything that everyone does that is outside of yourself. And if you listen to the Democratic Convention this week, empathy is a word that comes up again and again and again. Um, If you hear about the the social leaders around the world who've been doing it better than the U.S., empathetic leaders and women have been two things that have that have come up. So I just had to slide that one in there. Dan, did did you did you hear how she slid that in there? And women. (laughs) 
But and then the, the other side of that is I also think it may be the year of burnout. And what do you mean specifically on that? I think everyone is just exhausted. Yeah. Parents, workers, it's not sustainable. And there needs to be some solutions for, and really true resets about how we do things so that people can feel good again. <laughs> So I love that. I think that's an incredibly important point. And let me soapbox here on the pod, which is always bad. Look at Jason's like hiding under the couch. So here's my perspective on that and how it connects to the rest of the world, because I think it's particularly acute in the United States, right? For a variety of reasons. A, we've had a much rougher go of it as it relates to our performance with the virus and the pandemic. It has been more pervasive, more destructive, more tragic, more stressful, more, you know, we have really led ourselves into a significant hole with this thing. And how that impacts the rest of the world is if you think to yourself that rightly or wrongly, America has long been some kind of beacon tarnished, though it may be in some way, shape or form around, you know, these values of freedom and whatnot. And there's been, look, there've been implications of how that has fallen in the past three years. And I don't want to get into that because that's a, a political discussion. But the one thing that we have retained throughout all this is this sense of American optimism, right? But what I think we're confronting at this point, which is super acute here, is a real test of that optimism. You know, the limits of that optimism in the current construct of the system and the current construct of how we live our lives. We have always been a nation in all these surveys that has, frankly, worked too many hours and worked on the weekends and, you know, rushed to get to the next thing and overprogrammed and all the things that we look at as kind of uniquely somewhat American attributes. And I do think you're right. I think there is a a burnout factor of all of this and a real questioning of the core sets of values of what is important and what what do we want to do? What do we want to do as a nation? What do we want to do as individual people that is a better representation of how we want to live our lives? Because, you know, one thing that this thing has communicated is, you know, anytime you have a death in the family, it makes you reevaluate what you want to do with your life. It makes you very conscious of your immortality. But those things happen in very small snippets, right? This is a collective 330 million person nation at the same time having a solitary and continuing ongoing moment of mortality. And I think there are massive implications to what that means in terms of how we behave and what we value in society and how we look at our government infrastructure and even how you know we approach where and how we spend our money in those brands we participate with. And I, and I think that is, I think you're exactly right, Haley. I think that is a really interesting, interesting idea. Thanks, Robert. And I, just to build on what you're saying, one thing that wasn't touched on was just employment and what individuals expect of their employers. I've seen yeah. so yeah. much more, talk, not only in, you know, internally within our company, but also, you know, just talking with friends is, employers are realizing they have a lot more to do than just provide a paycheck. People are looking to their employers for a lot of support right now and to have a point of view on a lot of topics that typically have been deemed outside of the normal contract of what an employer is providing. So I think the way that companies evolve to support their staff will be very important in terms of retaining the best talent, but also for continuing to provide support for working parents and caregivers who are experiencing some of the most burdens at this time. I think that's exactly right. Dan, do you sense that 
same thing in our in our global clients and our you know internally in our global operations that same sense of a reevaluation of the corporate role i think so and i think also we're we're looking at companies more sort of holistic 360 way in that you're not just looking at their marketing you're looking at how they treat their staff you're looking at how they deal with bad news i think people will have long memories as to how companies have behaved during the pandemic. And I, and I think the companies which have not ended up covered in glory, they will have problems going forward because people will just say, I can deal with another company. I can choose not to deal with that one. I think that's right. All right. We have gotten to the lightning round. Are you excited? Always. Quite excited. We're going to do something a little different with the lightning round just focused on the pandemic. So in the past, you know, whatever, 165, 170 days, what is the most enjoyable piece of content of any kind that you've recently consumed in the pandemic? I'll start with you, Dan. So I've really got into listening to audiobooks over the past year or so. And my favorite audiobook is a book by a writer called Bernadine Evaristo. It won the Booker Prize in the UK last year. It's a story about uh, 12 people in the UK, different ages, different ages, different genders. And it's just fantastic. If you listen to the audiobook, it's about 12 hours or something. And it just, it just washes over you. It's just wonderful. And that's called Girl, Woman, Other. And the author's Bernadine Everisto. Girl, Woman, Other. I love it. Haley. So I am now part of a book club that only reads celebrity memoirs because <laughs> we just wanted something that was pure trash that just takes our yep. mind off of the world that everything that's going on. So that's a really fun one. We just finished Ali Wong's autobiography. <laughs> Highly recommend it. There's a lot of vulgar content in it though. So watch out. So Haley, it's celebrity memoirs and Peppa Pig. Those those are the That's all that's the content the... I'm getting right now in my life. <laughs> I want to join your book group. Your book group sounds loads of fun. Dan, you're all in. It's a good time. <laughs> Most enjoyable personal moment of the past, you know, five and a half, six months, Haley. Just being able to spend more time with my daughter, that's been invaluable and something I really cherish. And it's a huge upside of everything that's been going on right now. Yeah. Dan? I think it's hard to pick a single one, but seeing friends and seeing family for the first time after like four months was was fantastic. So my parents live about an hour away. So going to see them for pretty much about the first time I was allowed to uh, was just lovely. Yeah. You know, having spoken to them a lot and seen them on Zoom every week and things, actually physically being in the same room with them was absolutely great. And knowing that they were safe and they'd made it through so far. Dan, you're going to make me cry because I haven't been able to see my parents yet. Oh, really? No, they live in Indiana and we haven't been able to see them yet. Oh, well, shout out to Haley's parents. They're frequent listeners, right? Dave and Diane, love you. <laughs> All right, Dave and Diane, welcome welcome to the podcast. Last one, what gives you the most reason for hope? Dan? I think the fact that people are being very thoughtful at the moment. I think I'm seeing a lot of really intelligent articles and pieces of content and podcasts and things like that being shared at the moment. And I think we're going to a point where science is finally being given more value in society. I think we sort of rode away from that for quite a long time. But I think now more and more people are understanding that actually, you know, the science is more important than your opinion. 
Thanks, Tim. Uh, Haley. I would say the thing that keeps me going and hopeful is just the uh, the unrelenting passion and activism that I see every single day. Like just for example, yesterday, I had the most amazing call with two ladies from the LA office who on their own created this workshop called Having Difficult Conversations. And they took a few of us through the workshop and the materials and it was brilliant. Decca and Joy, shout out to you. Great work. We're going to be looking at how to roll that out across Kara. So just like that, that was them on their own doing this. And it was a really beautiful, inspiring thing for me. And then later that day, I was walking in my neighborhood and we came across a, a protest that was all about, you know, funding the Department of Education and defunding the police and just being able every day to have things I stumble across that are just so amazing, where normally it would have been like, maybe once a quarter, I have something that you know really blows my mind. Like every single day, something's coming to me with, you know, just a lot of passion and inspiration that, that really keeps me going. So that'll be the main topic for your new podcast that you're launching called A, a View from the BK. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, that, that's coming this fall. Yeah. I actually had a podcast idea from hiking called Trail Talks with Haley Poss, where I just interview people that I meet on the trail. That's, That's good. actually a great idea. <laughs> I always, strangers love, I don't know, something about me. People just tell me they're like deepest, darkest secrets out of nowhere. And this woman was just talking to me about like this weight loss journey she's been on. Just someone random I met on a hiking trail. And I'm like, you know what? This could be a podcast. That's a great idea. Thanks so much for joining us here on an episode of Trail Talks with <laughs> Haley. <laughs> All right, you guys, as ever, always deliver. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Please give us a like, subscribe, send us a comment. We do appreciate it. And please be safe, be just, be well, and we'll see you real soon. Bye-bye.